Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Custer Gallatin National Forest Planning Podcast. Today, I'm over in Missoula with Jordan Larson, an economist, here to talk about forest planning and economics. So, Jordan, why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Jordan Larson, and I am the regional economist for USDA Forest Service in the northern region, which is located in Missoula, Montana. And I've been in natural resources for about 15 years. I started at Utah State Research, moved on to Natural Resources Defense Council. And then in coming back to Montana, I started working with the Department of Natural Resources, doing some projects with the governor's office and uh, Montana State Trust Lands. And I learned everything about forestry in that opportunity. And I did some time in the private sector, and now I'm with the USDA Forest Service. Why did you decide to work for the Forest Service? Well, um, you know, and the various positions I had with the agency or with multiple agencies and in different sectors, you know, there were narrower scopes of work um, going on depending on the, um, the uh, mission of the organization. And um, with USDA Forest Service, what I really like is that there's a multidimensional aspect to everything that's going on under the multiple use paradigm of the agency. So when we work on a project, we don't isolate so much any particular resource as try to solve and conserve resources simultaneously in, in a multidimensional dimensional sort of interdisciplinary aspect. And I, I think that's really unique to the Forest Service. Yeah, okay. So um, the reality of economics and public lands is becoming more of an everyday dialogue. Can you help me in setting the stage for the Custer Gallatin by outlining some fast facts and emphasizing the top three economic contributions? Absolutely. Well, as this forest is merged, it, is, it represents a very large area. So I would say in Region 1 is probably one of the largest forests in terms of the counties that it touches or that it affects. We call this area around the forest the area of influence. And in our greatest or our widest definition of economic influence, we can include up to 50 some counties. So um, this would be an area that stretches into North and South Dakota and then goes as far west as, as Madison County and up sort of south of Missoula, southeast of Missoula. So it's a very large land landscape especially when you're considering, again, the sort of the area where economics are influenced by the national forest and national forest operations. But not only is it very large, it has a very significant sort of economic role in multiple resource programs and in multiple industries. Probably the most notable thing about the Custer Gallatin National Forest is its influence on recreation activity, travel and tourism especially, and uh, for, for any forest in the region, it has the largest contribution to, uh, to recreation economics. The forest itself generates annually about 85 to $86 million in contributed labor income from recreation activities. And that includes wildlife and non-wildlife types of recreation. And similarly, it generates around almost 3,000 jobs in those related industries. Recreation is a little bit complex of a, of a sort of economic contribution though, because it's not a particular industry like the timber industry would supply forest products. Um, in recreation, the impacts are really showing up in the accommodation services 
and other sort of travel and tourism related service sectors. So we see the impact playing out in lodging, in restaurants, and um, other sort of obviously gas stations and other sort of general travel. The way we look at recreation economics to, to measure this for the national forests, we look at any expenditures that travelers or recreationalists do once they get within 50 miles of the national forest. So any kind of spending that you might imagine on a trip that you do before you get within 50 miles of your destination, we're not including that spending. So when we talk about the impact of about 3,000 jobs, again, we're only talking within that 50-mile radius of the national forest or their destination on the national forest. The other thing that's important to keep in mind is we don't, we don't analyze recreation in terms of durable goods. So when someone purchases a side-by-side or a very expensive product that they plan to use for a long period of time, it's a depreciating asset, we don't take part in calculating our contribution to that, even though many users who purchase backcountry skis or side-by-sides or other durable goods plan to use those products on the national forest. And that's one of the things I'll talk about a little bit later. But overall, I want to point out that this forest has a very significant role in terms of recreation economics. I should also mention that it does provide a great deal of, uh, of jobs and labor income in range and grazing activities. The livestock, the, the greater livestock program on this forest, uh, which affects many, many counties, especially on the Custer side of the forest, is, is vast. And the contribution to, to grazing in terms of private employment and labor income are about a little over 12 million in labor income and about uh, just under 400, 400 jobs in grazing activities. So fairly significant. The forest also has a very large palladium mine, uh, Stillwater Mining Company, which you've probably heard about. Um, that single mine and its various sort of assets employs about 1,200 employees, a little over 1,200 employees. All of those employees are working with natural resources that are coming off of the Custer Gallatin National Forest. So that entire firm and their entire sort of financial activity and their, and their employment base in the Sweetgrass and um, Stillwater counties are really all of that is sort of part of the Custer Gallatin economic contribution. So mineral activities are significant, grazing is significant, recreation is significant, and there is a timber base present in these in these uh, counties that we're talking about. There's also, I would say, about 520 Forest Service employees that are in op- part of the operations of the forest itself, and those employees have sort of you know obviously have incomes and contribute to the local economy as well. All in all, the Custer Gallatin uh, contributes about a quarter of a billion dollars to Montana's economy and, um, and the other states that are a part of this area of influence. And uh, the, the forest employs about 5,800, 5, sorry, 5,415 approximately uh, jobs in terms of either direct employment or indirect Within the area of influence. That's correct. Wow. So over 5,000 positions, you know, jobs within that area are directly or indirectly influenced by Forest Service mm-hmm. operations on the forest. And how does that stack up um, to other forests that you've worked on, if you know those numbers? Um, this, is, this is one of, if not the 
most significant forests in the region. I would say that region one is a less populated region. So if you're looking nationally, the Custer Gallatin would not stack up at the top of the list. But within region one, which again is uh, sort of considering the, the western side of the Dakotas, Montana, a little bit of Wyoming in terms of area of influence, and then all of the panhandle of Idaho. If you're considering within that area, the Custer Gallatin is, is one of, if not the most significant forests in terms of economic contribution. How did the forest consider the economic factor when looking at the forest plan? Well, touching on sort of the conversation um, that I had with, uh, with some folks at the forest, I think it's important that we talk about sort of the broad picture in which we, we see economics within the forest plan. Um, at the very highest level, the forest planning rule stipulates that we consider sort of a fold of, of policy interests, the sustainability of the ecosystem, the sustainability of the social system, and the sustainability of the economic system. So in the planning rule context, we really have, we are called to give equal importance to those three legs. And so in looking at economics for this project at the highest level, it's a very important part. In fact, it's one third of the total picture that we're called to sort of consider in the 2012 planning rule. That being said, how we approach economics and the analysis and in looking at the decision that's going to be made, we try to look at both qualitative and quantitative factors. We look at the benefits to people very broadly. And, and then once we identify a key set of benefits to the public, we sort of narrow down our fo focus to those key benefits and work on analyzing those benefits further. And we identify key benefits when we know that it affects a large number of people and we know that a benefit is something that the plan can influence. Those are the two measurements in which we identify key benefit. So that allows us to sort of narrow our intellectual focus. And within that spectrum of key benefits, we include benefits that are responsible for directly generating income and supporting jobs in the local community and industries. But of equal interest are ecosystem goods and services that are also benefits that we may not have measurements in terms of labor income and jobs for, but we know because of consumer surpluses generated that those services, those goods and services that come from the ecosystem might be just as valuable and of, are of equal interest to us as the benefits that generate jobs and income. So within the, the wider spectrum of benefits that we look at, for this particular plan, we're, we're looking at water, water quantity, water quality, we're looking at air quality, we're looking at recreation opportunities, the full spectrum of recreation opportunities. And then we're also looking at, obviously, jobs and income as they're affected by our various resource programs. What do you hope that people might better understand about your resource area after listening to this episode? Uh, economics is, is often confusing for many reasons. Economists often talk about values without really talking about total economic value and consumer surplus. And oftentimes people feel that economics really is a, a way to look at jobs and income. And obviously jobs and income are important, but within what we call total economic value, there is a great deal of consumer surplus that, that's at play with these forest plan decisions. 
And so I think it's really important that when people consider economics, they come to some understanding of consumer surplus. And what I mean by consumer surplus is a, a benefit that, that any person from the public, any individual might receive that they don't necessarily have to pay for. It's maybe not tractable in the market. Um, that's not measured by dollars. Obviously, uh, economists have methods in which we can measure consumer surplus in terms of dollars. And that can be very helpful for, for making discrete decisions and especially at the project level where we have sort of a, a no-go, no scenario, uh, scenario for a particular um, project element. But generally speaking, at this sort of high level of planning, we often don't give enough credit to consumer surplus and to sort of delivery of well-being beyond jobs and income. It's a very significant factor. A great example of consumer surplus is the provision of municipal water. There's a great deal of, of folks that live around the Custer Gallatin National Forest that are consuming municipal water that was sourced from the National Forest. I believe there's about five municipal watersheds and about 45 public water systems, some surface, some subsurface, that are using water that's flowing right off the forest. So that's just the immediate consumption of water. And we don't talk about jobs and income related to the provision of water. We don't measure it that way in our analysis. Yet it's crucially important. Um, in addition to the direct use of water for consumption, we also know that downstream we have immense agricultural production going on from water that's sourced from the Custer Gallatin National Forest. Again, this is a huge asset and benefit to agriculture systems downstream yet we don't measure those directly outside of livestock grazing. And the reason is we don't track um, a resource once it's off the national forest and water is not considered something that is under ownership of the national forest, if you will, once it's flowing. But again, based on the ecosystem function, we know that this is a, a natural good that's delivered off of our lands. So these are the kinds of things that have immense value that we know in, in some cases are much greater than the values we talk about in terms of jobs and income, yet, yet we don't see those measured out. So it's important for folks to keep in mind all of the monetary benefits they might obtain from the national forest, but also the non-monetary benefits and those that are consumed freely and deliver a great benefit. What kind of information can the public provide during the upcoming um, comment period that could add value or help support the decision um, in relationship to economics? You know, I think it's important that people lean into the, the public process that's uh, offered to them. The Forest Service puts a great deal of resources forward to make sure the process is available to the public at many stages and um, in many different communities. And so... Given the opportunity, I think folks uh, should tell, tell the Forest Service a little bit about their story and provide some qualitative and, if they can, quantitative information regarding the benefits that they are receiving from the National Forest. I think it's very important to provide um, the, the beneficiary's perspective or, or the um, stakeholder's perspective. It's also important that I think the public uh, take, take the time to point out areas within our draft that, that may be enhanced or changed um, based on information they have. It's critical that, that this dialogue goes on in the, in the comment and in response to comment process. In economics in particular, I know that it's very helpful for us to see information on, say, the Stillwater Mine and their payroll 
or to, to see information from uh, t the timber industry's perspective or from an outfitter and guide's perspective. That information is very, very helpful, and we've been fortunate to have good commenters on other forests, and we hope to see good comments coming in for the public from the public on the Custer Gallatin National Forest Project. One of the things that's worth mentioning is out in the public right now, there are a number of studies that are boasting sort of the recreation economics of Montana and the significance of the outdoor in, um, recreation industry. And I, I want to clarify some things for folks who might be listening and who are interested in those particular policy areas. There are critical differences between analyses that are conducted by the USDA Forest Service and analyses conducted by industry groups. And they tend to boil down to the counting of durable goods. You know, whether or not the Forest Service is responsible for the purchase of downhill skis or of um, motorized vehicles, uh, recreation vehicles. Those are very, very significant purchases and represent a very large part of our um, U.S. economy. Uh, yet, on the Forest Service side, we don't have all of the evidence or information to take credit for some of those purchases because we know uh, that individuals purchase those goods to, to participate in recreation on many different ownerships and in many different cases. Uh, for example, I often see side-by-side -side vehicles being used to run and get groceries, and so we know, we know folks are, are using these assets in different ways. So, um, when folks are confused about the overall economic impacts or contributions that they're reading in different studies, keep in mind that when we talk about benefits that the Forest Service and Forest Service operations are delivering in terms of recreation, that we're accounting for spending in travel to locations where recreation will take place on the forest. And within that spending, we're only taking account for goods that are a part of each trip. So um, fishing bait, gasoline, um, hotel rooms, those sorts of activities. And that's why we see sort of a vast difference in, in what we're talking about. Yet on either side, whether you're looking at the industry or the forest, we're all talking about the same industry. We're just talking about different aspects.